I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hosting the So Money podcast for almost 10 years, I've been learning a lot about how to best serve you outside the show. I've begun to offer pop-up workshops and a So Money members club. And with each new line of business, a lot goes on behind every transaction. Stripe helps simplify and ease payments with tap to pay on iPhone, which helps me grow revenue and reach through accepting more in-person contactless payments when I'm out in real life promoting my programs. Tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe give me the ability to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup and no additional hardware required. And it's not just ideal for me. From local pop-ups to global retailers, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe help businesses of all sizes accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. Whether your customers want to use their card, Apple Pay, or other digital wallet, now you can accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. So many episodes, 1635, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. How's everyone doing this Friday? I'll tell you what's been on my money mind. I read an article recently written by a friend of mine and a guest who's been on this show before. She is a fellow financial writer. Her name is Charlotte Coles. You may recall she has been on this show in the past talking about millennials and money and all the anxiety and fear that they have. She's a writer for The Cut uh, at New York Magazine and also a contributor to The New York Times. Well, She wrote a bombshell article that came out last week about how she became a victim of how she became the victim of a massive scam that essentially put her out of $50,000. And it all happened over the course of a day over the phone. She got a call, seemed like it was legit, from Amazon questioning some of her purchases. And then fast forward, I'll let you read the story. It's, it's, it is something. Uh, Fast forward. She's suddenly then on the phone with who she thinks is the CIA or the FBI, and they convinced her to go to the bank and take out most of her life savings, put it in a shoebox and hand it to a stranger. And that is something she lived with for a while until she wrote about it. And the internet went ablaze when she put this out there. Uh, you can imagine the sort of comments that people gave, like, how could this be? Is this even for real? You're a financial writer. How could you fall for a scam like this? And that was kind of the point of why she wanted to go public with her story is that scams don't just happen to little old ladies 
everyday people have the potential to get scams and scammers are getting a lot better these days. I and mean, we've heard about how scammers are using AI to manipulate and mimic uh, real people's voices. So you may get a phone call from who you think might be like your son or your father or your mother. And they're like, I'm in trouble, send me money. And you do, you Venmo them money or whatever you have to do. And meanwhile, it's just a recording and it was a dubbed voice. So I really appreciate Charlotte for putting herself out there. I know her to be a very smart person. And she even writes in the article, like she is known in her family and amongst her friends as like really even keeled. Uh, And yet she fell for this. And in hindsight, she's like all the red flags were there, but you'll have to read the article to kind of understand the psychological twists and turns she was put through on the phone to get her to, to ultimately feel as though she had to do this. The article is called The Day I Put $50,000 in a Shoebox and Handed It to a Stranger. And it's in the cut of New York Magazine, link in our show notes. Shifting gears to another big story, in my life at least, it's the 10-year anniversary of When She Makes More. I know some of you listening to this podcast first discovered me because of that book, and I have other books that predate it, but that one was sort of my biggest book to date uh, when it came out, and it dealt with the trials, the tribulations, and the amazing life that you can have when you are the female breadwinner in your relationship. At the time, it was an extremely taboo topic. And today, still a taboo topic. I thought we would have made more advances by 2024. But here we are still in a world where I get women coming up to me and saying, I make more than my partner. I read your book. He doesn't know that I read it. I would never let him know that I read it. And I just don't know how to navigate our money. And also our family is getting bigger. And I just, I have so much pressure at work and this wasn't maybe even a role that I wanted. And here I am. The complexities continue. And I'll never forget when I was shopping the book proposal around for when she makes more. It ultimately sold at auction. There were many bidders, but there was one publisher who kind of threw it back at me and said, I think you're so naive to think that being a female breadwinner is more complex than earning the same or less than your partner. And I mean, okay, I I guess it's good to have controversy around a topic. I, my agent, very smart agent said, you know, that's fine. That's going to happen. Not everyone's going to like your thesis. And I want everyone's going to be on board with your, uh, with your plans here for this book, but maybe that's a good thing because if everybody agrees with your thesis, that being a female breadwinner is complex and deserves special attention and advice and it's nuanced. If everyone agrees with that, then is there even a problem? It's better to have friction. It's better to have debate. So I give that to anybody out there who's listening, who's maybe scared to come out with an idea because they're worried about rejection or people not believing in what they believe in. Your audience is out there. You're not trying to cater to everybody. You're just trying to make a point to an audience, a segment of a population that you think is underserved. And in 2014, female breadwinners, while they were a growing population in our country, were highly underserved. We weren't even 
talking to each other about the fact that we made more money and how it was making us feel, let alone our spouses. And the rejection continued after that editor, the book came out. And as I was living my life and talking about the book, I would get so many weird comments, you know, people finding out I make more than my husband. And some of these people were my friends. They'd say like, how can a journalist make more than an engineer? Is your husband okay with it? No, I have forced him into this. Um, but what does he do all day? Like he's not sitting on the couch eating bonbons, watching Maury Povich reruns, y'all. He has a job. It's an important job. And I'm an entrepreneur. So it's just sometimes how it works when you're an entrepreneur and one person works in a corporate setting, there are going to be different income potentials. It's not a forced thing, but if I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't always want my own financial independence in a relationship, and maybe that's what got me to this point. But you know, it continues to this day, the side eye and the weird comments, maybe not so much directed at me because people know I'll be ready for a fight. Uh, but you know, people on my show who come on on this podcast who talk about it. And uh, of course, people who DM me and say, this is still like a source of discomfort in my marriage and, you know, in my in-laws or my parents are also like asking us a lot of uncomfortable questions around our financial life. If you don't have the book and you're curious about the book, I've actually put together a crib sheet, which summarizes the main points from when she makes more in a PDF. And I made it so that it's accessible to everybody. It's $0. I'll put that link in the show notes if you'd like to skim it. And if you do like it, well, the book has more substantive strategies. And of course, it goes further into a lot of the topics in that crib sheet. Before we get going into the mailbag and our reviewer of the week, I want to take a minute to just talk about one of my new morning habits. Yes, I'm not a morning person, but when I do get up, I'm very disciplined. I get my kids ready. I do my workout. I do a little bit of work. And lately I've been integrating this new habit. It's called AG1. It's a nutritional supplement that offers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And let me tell you, it has been good for my immune health. I have energy and it's been needed in 2024 because these days I, I haven't been getting a full eight hours of sleep a lot of nights, a lot of new projects underway. And as you're listening, I am in fact hosting a live workshop in New York. I'm on my feet all day. And so I'm really excited to welcome AG1 as a new partner of the podcast. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1. G1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com forward slash so money. That's drinkag1.com forward slash so money. All right, let's go congratulate our reviewer of the week who's going to get a free 15 minute phone call with me to talk about whatever's on your money mind. This week, we're going to say thank you to Cassidy LD, who left a review calling the show excellent, relatable content with tangible takeaways. And it was actually left 
little bit after my birthday. So Cassidy said, happy birthday, Farnoosh. This podcast has given such great tangible takeaways and advice I can apply to my daily life. I love the Friday Q&A segments, as well as so many of our of your guests. I love finding new financial gurus from your show and hope you continue to make more podcasts. Yeah, Cassidy, I'm not going anywhere. I have thought about taking the show to one day a week and what would that show look like? Would it be a combination of interviews and answering mailbag questions? I don't feel like I can abandon these formats, either of these formats. I like talking to people. I also like interacting with the audience and answering your money questions. So maybe that's something that I'll crowdsource. Like, DM me, let me know, email me. What do you think I should do with the show? Should I keep it to three days a week? Because I'll tell you, it's hard to keep up. I know it's sometimes hard for me to produce. And I know because listeners tell me that it's hard to keep up. So, you know, this show started as a seven day per week show. Let that sink in. And then it went to five and now we're at three. Is there a day where I'll get to one? I don't know. And like, be like everybody else. Uh, You tell me. But in the meantime, Cassidy, thank you. And please get in touch. You can DM me on Instagram or email me, farnoosh at somoneypodcast.com. Let me know you left this lovely review and I'll send you a link for you to pick a time for us to have our chat. All right, now let's go to the mailbag. The first one, of course, has to do with the lottery. (laughs) I haven't actually talked about the lottery on this show, probably because you know, we're not that kind of show, but the Powerball did hit a billion dollars recently and someone did win it. And I hope this person never reveals themselves. Some states, you can't control it. The state reveals your name. And I find that to be such a burden. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The weather's getting warmer as I record. It's a nice 73 degrees on the East Coast. So finally, time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and fingers crossed hello to shorts and tees. And I need to update my wardrobe for the long haul. And you know, I don't want to spend a fortune. So luckily I found Quince. I'm honest. I've got a lineup of timeless pieces from Quince that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. I'm talking premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat jewelry, and tons more. Best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. I have t-shirts from Quince, pajamas from Quince, my very chic and fashionable sister-in-law, Hannah, her whole closet is Quince. And people often stop us and ask, where did you get this? Don't tell me the price. And then when I do, they're shopping on Quince.com. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash so money for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash so money to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash so money. For the longest time, I dreaded buying bras. It was like shopping for jeans. Impossible. 
You want a bra that's sexy. You want a bra that's comfortable. You can't have both. Well, now you can, thanks to Third Love. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, the ick, the ugh, out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem or problem. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school. Get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made with premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with the code podcast15. Did you know that I'm a podcast host and also a mind reader? Because I know that you want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising costs of inflation, to pay off your debt or your mortgage. You want to attack pretty much anything standing in the way of you and your financial freedom, right? Well, here's one solution, more knowledge. This podcast helps, I hope. And you can use Yahoo Finance, where you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need to help reach your definition of financial freedom. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, and I know because I worked there for many years, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, customizable charts, so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Here's the question. Lee wants to know, what are your thoughts on playing the lottery? Well, my thoughts are that it is basically like going to a casino and playing the slots, but your odds of playing the lottery are probably much worse because raise your hand if you've ever gone to Vegas or Atlantic City or somewhere and immediately you win like $20. It's kind of like their thing, right? They they want to make sure that you're winning at least a little bit, but ultimately you leave a loser. And I've always remembered that rush, that initial rush of like going into a casino and like playing. I like to play Price is Right because <laughs> I loved that game show growing up. And so I go to the, the slot machines that are very nostalgic to me. And then I sit there and I usually will win like I'll play $100 and then I'll win like 200 and then I'll probably end up losing 30 at the end of it. But for me, I don't consider this my way of trying to strike it rich. This is just like I'm doing this while maybe my friends are playing the actual tables or I just figured I'm in Vegas and I got to do this because it's what you do, right? I mean, listen, I'm not perfect, but I I do partake sometimes in those things. I can count them on my hands the number of times that I've partaken in those kinds of things. Um, so I'm not a lottery uh, enthusiast. I think that it is you know, sad in some ways how much people spend on gambling. And we're not talking about gambling addiction right now, but in general, I think the lottery is a complete shot in the dark, right? You don't play this with the hopes of actually winning real money, but people do. And I think there's a sadness to it that people like will actually use a consistent part of their paycheck every week to play when that money could go towards some things that are more meaningful and frankly, more certain, like putting money towards certain things, things that will certainly 
pay you back with dividends, whether that is actual stocks and the stock market or in yourself, investing in yourself. I think there's a host of things you could be putting your money towards that are better than the state lottery. And and funny anecdote, I was actually at a dinner recently in the neighborhood and got to talking with some of our neighbors. Of course, the Powerball came up. And I think when there's a large number, like a billion being thrown around around the Powerball, like it does conjure up a lot of excitement and people will play just because it's like kind of a cool thing to gather around with your friends and talk about. And like, maybe it does spark a conversation about money and what you would do with it. I think that's all sort of healthy. I mean, as long as you're not uh, risking a lot to do this, it's like, you know, $5, you pool together as a group, you know, 20 bucks, whatever. But there was a guy at the party who is wealthy and works in finance and he plays regularly. He has an app. He, he showed me his app. It's like the lottery. It's, a, it's the jackpot app. And out of curiosity, I downloaded it because I didn't realize there were apps for this. Like I thought you still had to go to the Quickie Mart and pick your numbers. And, and I mean, it makes sense because some people don't want to do that or don't have access to that. So apps, hey, they make life so much easier and so much more dangerous. And so he would go in there and, and I said, well, what would you win if you won the lottery? Like, what would it, what, what, what would you tell anybody? Would you tell, would you quit your job? He's like, yes, but I would give them 30 days notice and I would give that job my all for those remaining 30 days. And then I would, they would never hear from me again, <laughs> which was, I thought just an interesting, like he's thought about it. Um, so I think that the lottery conversation is interesting simply because it does spark conversations. It's less about it's less about the hope to win but more about you know thinking about the hypotheticals and imagining i was talking to my husband this morning i was like we've been talking a lot on this podcast about financial enoughness and what is enough for you and i've got a podcast coming out later this month with manisha takor who wrote a book called money zen the secret to finding your enough you got to hold on for that podcast. It is so, so good. But I've been really interested in digging deep into this idea, this concept of like what would actually make me happy and hustle culture. And I mean, I've, I'm raising my hand. I have fallen prey sometimes to this, uh, this circuitousness of just making money to make money. And I did that in my 20s. But I also had debt in my 20s. I had ambitions to get out of you know living with a married couple and their cat. So I don't regret making the money that I did in my 20s and how I did it. But there is a point where you have to sort of stop and think about well, what is it all for? And I'm going, um, I'm venturing away from lotteries here, but this idea of like going out there to make tens of millions of dollars, I won't be mad if someone hands me that money, but I think I don't want to be pursuing that. I know the work that is involved in trying to make 5X, 10X, 20X your income. And I'm good. Like I don't aspire for that. And it's not because I'm not ambitious anymore or financially ambitious. It's just, it's not a priority for me right now. And it is a privilege, you know, to say like, I'm good. I feel like we have... If I can just keep my status quo, I have a good quality of life. I know what I value and I spend money on those things intentionally. Um, and that's me. I'm not saying this because everybody should feel this way, but I'm just thinking out loud here. Your lottery question really uh, woke me up this morning, Lee. Thank you for uh, the question. And... I'm not a promoter of the lottery in general as a way of trying to build wealth or get rich. And frankly, if you have other financial responsibilities like paying down debt, trying to save more, reaching bigger goals, don't let the lottery be a distraction, a financial distraction. 
Okay. Next is Kwame. How much financial transparency do you really need in a relationship? (laughs) Oh my gosh. What a loaded question. Uh, Specifically, Kwame wants to know, should I share all of the things that I buy? Hmm. Well, of course, I'm a big proponent of financial transparency in relationships. I think it is the most important thing, more important than how you actually divvy up your finances. A lot of people first come to me with the question of, Furnish, should we have two bank accounts, one bank account, 17 bank accounts? And I say, you know, you'll get to that and it'll become apparent and well, whatever you decide will work itself out if, if you have first laid the groundwork of committing to transparency in your relationship. What does that mean? That means that at the minimum, you are discussing your financial goals with one another, your financial baggage, if you have any and I'm using air quotes, like what is the stuff that you're bringing into the relationship, whether that's debt or money narratives that you grew up with that you're trying to unpack and rewrite, fears about money, and that you do share your individual expenses, not all the time, not every single expense, but I think it's important to sort of establish a threshold for how much is for what we would discuss, the minimum, you know, the price of something that we would discuss. Um, If you are regularly getting your hair done and it costs $150 every eight weeks because you're getting highlights and what have you. And that's just something that you do. You don't have to tell your partner every time it's happening, but maybe, you know, you bring it up casually, like this is what it costs. And I would assume that that might be coming from your own bank account. If it's not, if it's coming from the joint account, then I think you definitely want to disclose. I think here's the thing, anything that's coming out of your pooled money together, that would be a significant amount of money and significant is relative. So as a couple, maybe you decide like, $150 or more, we're going to like fess up. We're going to talk about it. We're going to disclose it. We're going to discuss it. And again, if it's coming out of your joint pool account, if you have a joint pool account, because at that point, that is enough money where it could interfere with other goals you've established as a couple. What if your goals are to pay off debt and that 150 could have really come in handy to pay down uh, some balance as principal or you're saving up for something and that 150 could really go a long way, especially if it's a consistent 150. So if it's not to say that you won't make that purchase or it's going to cause a fight, but that it, it's, it merits a conversation or just a touch base, you know, like, hey, this is happening. This is why Ultimately, if you are somebody who doesn't want to have these discussions all the time because it feels like financial policing, I get it. You know, we're getting married later in life. We're partnering up later in life, at which point we have started to make our own financial decisions. We are our own financial people. And in a relationship, you want to maintain that autonomy. So, you know what? Have your own individual bank account. Because that allows for the division and the conquering. That allows for that separation and I think that sense of freedom that we all want and deserve in a relationship. But my husband and I have transparency in the sense that I don't tell him everything that I spend on and vice versa. But if we're curious, we could find out. We share, uh, we use an app where all of our finances are pooled onto this app. My 
savings, his savings, my retirement accounts, his retirement accounts, our joint accounts, which we have a few, uh, our college savings for our kids, our mortgage. And then the two of us can see at any point in time on the go, what is our net worth? Has my husband gotten paid? Have I gotten paid? What's the balance of our kids' 529 plans, et cetera? Let me tell you, that goes a very long way in just keeping the peace, keeping these miniature conversations at bay. They don't need to happen. So I don't think you have to tell your partner every single thing. But if you know, here's here's a good litmus test. If you feel like you're buying something and your partner would be curious about it, would have questions, would want to have a conversation about it, then that's a good instinct. You know your partner better than I do. So when you're doing these things and you feel like you have to hide something or you don't want to talk about it because you're worried about what it could mean in terms of your partner finding out, then that's probably a signal that a conversation needs to be had. Okay. Thanks for your question. Next up, Renee has a question about inheriting her family's house, her mother and father's home. She says that her brother and I recently received their parents' home. Um, Their mortgage is paid off, but it is a lot of overhead, taxes, maintenance. There's a pool. And Renee and her brother are trying to figure out whether to keep it and use it as a rental property, maybe make some cash flow or just sell it. I was actually reading an article in the Wall Street Journal about this. It was months ago about how increasingly adult children are inheriting their parents' homes. And ultimately, the article went on to say, and I agree, that unless this house is one that you want to live in or you want to frequent because it's a vacation house, it's a summer home, you you know, you want to use it, you want your you want the grandkids to use it, then it's usually better to just sell it. Long term, the real expenses to think about taxes, which will go up every year or over time, maintenance as well. It could be these like price shockers you weren't expecting, like, oh my gosh, we need a new roof. Wasn't planning for that. The decision to rent it, on the other hand, may be financially feasible. You have to obviously do all the calculations for that. But then, of course, the other big consideration, because it is you and your brother, is who is going to handle that? How are you going to divide and conquer? the management of this home, the responsibilities, the rentals. So look, it's not for everybody. And I don't blame you. It's the reason why I haven't yet really ventured into investing in real estate because I know my time is limited. And yes, you can hire people, but that also takes away from the profit. So Renee, I think that if you're asking this question, it's not clear that you do want to that you do want to own it that's not like a, it's not a hell yes for you and your brother i think you want to work with a real estate attorney to look at your options and make the decision i will just say this too that selling your parents home don't feel guilty about it I don't know if that's anything you're feeling, but I think parents, I think that adult children sometimes think maybe my parents wanted me to keep the home. It was their, you know, they owned it for 20 years and their sentimental value. Maybe you grew up in this home, but you know, the home has served your parents. It has served your lifetime, their lifetime. And now it's ready. Now it's ready for another family. And now you can maybe um, profit from it, which is at the end of the day, you know, your house is an asset, but not really only until you sell it and you cash out. uh, Right. So a financial asset. So remember that and don't feel hesitant to pull the trigger over the emotions. 
this is all part of a bigger conversation about the transference of wealth that's happening, you know, this largest transference of wealth in history from the boomers to the Gen X and Gen and millennials. I think we're going to be getting more questions like these. If you have a question like this, please do send it in. And then sticking with real estate, Melissa has a question on real estate syndication. We're looking to invest $50,000 in real estate syndication, Farnoosh. Have you ever had any experience with this? Have you ever done it? What do you think? Um, Melissa says, we really enjoy your show and have come to count on your podcast every week as a financial touchstone. A little bit more about Melissa and her and her situation. She says that she and her husband are looking to diversify their investments. They have around 200,000 index funds. They max out their retirement accounts. They have an 18-month rainy day cushion. They just bought their dream home last year and they're paying off the mortgage ahead of schedule. We have two kids and college is prepaid through a prepaid college program through the state, which their godparents took care of. And they have life insurance. So phenomenal, Melissa. I think it's important that we bring this up because Melissa is coming to me saying, look, I've got a lot of ducks in a row. I'm, I'm set financially. And so I have this extra money to play with. What do you think about real estate syndication? Because it is an alternative investment. You don't want to really look at alternatives like real estate investment and even, you know, I would consider things like art and investing in startups as alternatives. These are riskier ventures and $50,000 in one project, although real estate syndication, the idea is that they spread out your money, which is great, um, is taking on more risk than say putting it in the US stock market and letting it ride for 30 years. But, but, But to answer your question, Melissa, no, I haven't done this. I have had a guest or two on So Money who has done this or is work or is running a program like this and offering it to folks. I remember talking to the founders of Good Egg, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. They were on a few years ago and Good Egg is Good Egg Investments is a syndication program or real estate syndication program with hundreds of millions of dollars of real estate assets. Uh, The two women founded this company because they were interested in doing this. They didn't really see a a sound offering in the marketplace. So they started to do this. And I don't know how their investments have been performing, but I'm happy to see that they're still around and they have have openings for offerings. They do have requirements though. Um, And so that's one thing to check when you're applying to any of these real estate syndication programs, which I like to see. I like to say that they want to make sure that you're not somebody who has a lot of debt, um, who can has the capacity to invest with them. So firstly, they want to make sure that your income is over 200000 that your net worth is a million, and that's not including your primary home. And so I would look into these programs, if that's what you're interested in, with the understanding that this is risky, that if you're doing $50,000, what is that? Is that more than 10% of your net worth of your net investments? I wouldn't do more than that to start with at least. That's a rule of thumb for alternative investments, which also includes investing in like a single stock. You don't want to put more than 10% of your investable assets in a single stock in an alternative investment like real estate or any other kind of project slash out of the box asset. Is $50,000 the sort of money where if you lost it in two years or in a year, 
that maybe and maybe it would grow again because that's the volatility, but you would be crushed and you would lose sleep and you'd be worried about maybe affording more important things on your to do list. Those are really important things to consider. What I like about real estate syndication is that it's diversified and that the good programs do do background checks and financial background checks to make sure that their investors do have the capacity to participate. And that's always a good sign that they're not there to like take your money and run, that they're there to really work with you to make sure that you know you can do this. GoodEggInvestments.com. Just one example. Um, I'm just bringing them up because the two women co-founders were on my podcast and I'll link to that in our show notes. All right. Fantastic questions as always, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope your weekend is so money. Hosting the So Money podcast for almost 10 years, I've been learning a lot about how to best serve you outside the show. I've begun to offer pop-up workshops and a So Money members club. And with each new line of business, a lot goes on behind every transaction. Stripe helps simplify and ease payments with tap to pay on iPhone, which helps me grow revenue and reach through accepting more in-person contactless payments when I'm out in real life promoting my programs. Tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe give me the ability to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup and no additional hardware required. And it's not just ideal for me. From local pop-ups to global retailers, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe help businesses of all sizes accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. Whether your customers want to use their card, Apple Pay, or other digital wallet, now you can accept contactless payments right from an iPhone. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.